0: Father God, we recognize that we are sinful and broken people who desperately need a Savior and we rejoice in the fact that You have provided Your Son for us. Father, we know that there are many whom we walk with, that we know, that we speak with, um, that are reeling from the consequences they've made, the lifestyles That they've chosen to live, or or even just their desire to embrace or hold on to sin. Father, would we recognize that those relationships that we have, even those that have been fractured by this sin, are of value and are of worth, can be restored and repaired? And Father, we recognize that this is something that we we cannot do on our own, that that, Father, we come before your throne this morning and ask uh, on their behalf, on on our brothers and sisters that we love and care for, we we go before your throne on their behalf this morning, that that you would draw them to yourself, that you would pull them close, that they would be reminded of your grace and reminded of your mercy, reminded of your love for them. Father, in the midst of their consequences, in the midst of, of recovering from their sin, in the midst of cleaning up the mess, would they, would they have opportunities, Father, to build relationships with others that will speak about You, that will draw them to You, that will point them to You, that they will grow in that faith, that they would come back, Father. Father, I, I, think, of the, I think of the many that have come through these doors. Father, they're not lost. You know exactly where they are. And we pray this morning for them. Father, that they would come to know who You are, that they would proclaim Your Son as Lord. And Father, for those that are in the midst of their consequences, would they remind themselves of Your love and would they they proclaim Your grace and mercy to everyone around them? Father, we give You thanks this morning that we have the opportunity to pray for one another. We thank You for the opportunity this morning that we have uh, to spend time in Your Word this morning. Father, I pray that as I begin to to preach, as begin to teach out of Your Word, Father, that You would guard the words that come out of my mouth. Father, that only Your truth would remain. Father, be with us as we spend the rest of this time in worship, as we prepare for communion that you would be honored and glorified in all we do and say. Father, we pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Now we continue this morning to build, not just on the foundation of 1 Timothy chapter 1, but we're moving through this, this letter in the four weeks or so that we have this summer to broad sweeping strokes, and we find ourselves in chapter 4. We're going to look at actually 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 16. And if you have your Bible this morning with you, if you would open it up to 1 Timothy chapter 4, or if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, uh, you're welcome to do that as well. But I want to read for us 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 16. This is what Paul writes. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise to the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on a living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, Do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now it's easy to read the text this morning and begin the finger points. Not in the sense of someone being at fault, but more of they're talking about you and and not really me. I think Paul's speaking to Timothy about teaching and and preaching and, and study and doctrine. He's still talking to Timothy, encouraging Timothy, pleading to Timothy to battle the false doctrine that's making its way inside the church. So it's easy for us to read this passage and perhaps think to yourself, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not even an elder, so you guys over there and there and maybe over here, you should be the ones listening. And this passage is used and has been used for ordination services and charges given to those that strive to preach and lead faithfully. I believe at some point I was on my knees on this very platform being ordained, and I am sure this text was read. But it would be a mistake, it would be foolishness to read this text and not think it pertains to everyone that's here this morning. I mean, there's not a person sitting here that is not accountable for the way that they speak, for how they love, for how they keep themselves pure, or how they train themselves, how they work and strive, or how they set an example. Maybe the the best place for us to begin, to lay that first block in this foundation, would be with godliness. The pursuit of of God's character, imitating God. And throughout the pages of Scripture, we see this this weighty call to be holy, for I am holy. We're told to to close ourselves with our new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In Colossians 3, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These are what we're we're called to do, called to become. You see, when we come to a saving knowledge in Christ, when we ask Jesus Uh, to be our Lord and our Savior, when we acknowledge our sin and and our immense need for Him, in that moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and, and fills us. The Holy Spirit indwells within us, enabling us to bear fruit that is according to His nature. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As Paul writes to Timothy, these are the sorts of characteristics that lead to the training of godliness. Love, joy, peace, patience, compassion, humility, meekness. And later on in this letter, he connects godliness with contentment. Imagine being content. Verse 6 kind of lays out our goal. If you, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ. To be a good servant of Christ Jesus, to finish the race well, to be a good servant. And, and, and we do this by being trained in the words of faith and good doctrine. Now these things don't happen just because you, you wish they would happen. I'm not able to be a student of the Bible because I want it. There's a level of, of personal responsibility that's involved. It is no secret that I'm a big fan of infomercials. It's really not. I love the way that, that they're made and produced and the amazing products they sell. And I use, them, I use them a lot for illustrations. They are great for illustrations, partly because they're just so incredible. And, and they, all, they all follow a basic premise. Here's the problem. You can't keep a blanket on. I can't crack an egg. You name it. There's somebody that does a task, and they fail miserably. Oh, but then they're introduced to this amazing product. And just like that, they're successful and happy. Right? I, I can't keep my blanket on while I watch TV and talk on the phone and eat ice cream. And now I'm cold and sad. Some would say you can never be sad while eating ice cream. But, but now I have a blanket with sleeves and I can do all these things and so much more. And now I'm warm and I'm filled with joy. And it's, and it's just silly. Just silly. But one of the areas of infomercials that I love the most are the exercisements. Especially the ones where I don't have to do anything and I can look like I eat healthy and lift weights. I strap it on my stomach and it sends electric pulses to my abdomen muscles and for just a few minutes a day I can have a six-pack and look amazing. Now, I'm not here to argue the scientific findings of the ab magic device. I'm just saying that I cannot drink Mountain Dew and eat Twinkies all day and expect it to work. There's some personal responsibility on my part. And now don't get me wrong, I wish that I could wash clothing on my abs. Think how much money we would save by not using the washing machine. And it would be great if our spiritual growth worked the same way. Something that would automatically make us more godly. Sadly that's not how it works. And for those brothers and sisters who have been walking in faith much longer than I have can attest that there is no quick fix. We have to practice to be godly. Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2 Blessed are the one blessed is the one who does not walk in blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. Who meditates on His law day and night. I mean, do you do, do, you do this? That doesn't seem like a strap-it-on-for-a-minute-a-day kind of thing. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like a quick fix. Meditates on His law day and night thinking about what He expects of us, working out what God is like, desiring to imitate Him, letting His Word go deep into our brains and into our hearts so that it affects everything we do. That does not seem like minutes a day. The pursuit of godliness is to pursue imitating God, and it takes effort on our part. We don't just become godly when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. In our pursuit of godliness, we also need to be aware, not just of the things we're to become, but we need to be aware of the things that pull us further away from godliness as well. Right? Those things that, that could shipwreck us, that erode our faith. So I'd like for you to flip over to Colossians 3. Colossians 3 is found a few books back, actually three books back. Second Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, and you'll find yourself in Colossians. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 10 for just a moment. But I'd like for us all to be there. Colossians chapter 3. This is what verses 9 and 10 say. Do not lie with one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Putting on the, the nature of God doesn't just Happen. It's something that we do consciously. It's like taking off our dirty clothes and putting on clean ones. I want to take a moment to speak to my children very quickly. Or maybe your child as well. It's important to take off your dirty clothes and put clean ones on. Maybe take a bath or a shower. These things are important. And I know it's not just my children. Every parent knows the struggle of getting your children to change their underwear <laughs> underwear and socks. Or, or to take a shower, to brush their teeth. These things are important, and I'd even say necessary, as they grow older. But the thing about changing your underwear is it takes some personal responsibility. You will not someday when your child is 30 show up at their house and begin to look to see if they need to wear clean clothes or if they brush their teeth. At that point you would assume that they have personal responsibility of their own hygiene, that you've taught them up, you've raised them up, you've sent them out, and they now wear clean socks. It requires personal responsibility on our part. A choice. And I want to speak about one more thing concerning our personal training as, as we continue through the text. And, and it has to do with our own personal spiritual growth. As we seek, as we strive to become godly, as we, as we take responsibility on, on what we do, with taking off the old and putting on the new, I want to talk about personal spiritual growth. And we do not spend much time talking about teaching about developing spiritual growth or a personal spiritual life. Now for some, it's something that you learned early on as a Christian. Perhaps you watched your mom or dad read and study their Bible and you look to imitate them and you learn from that. For others, it's... It's not something that you've ever seen modeled and you're still not sure what personal study or or time with God looks like. I mean, as parents, it's difficult to know how to lead your children in this area. As husbands, it's hard to know how to demonstrate this for your wife. But make no mistake, the difficulty or the lack of examples that you've had is no excuse for us and our own personal responsibility, and our desire to, to spend time and grow in our own study. I mean, next week, Lord willing, Jeff Mindler is going to, to stand at this, on this very platform and, and help us with some guidance and maybe some tools in our responsibility of leading our own families, our own spouses, in spiritual growth and discipleship. Now, we like to highlight the word personal in this when we think about personal spiritual growth, right? I mean, you can blame it on your heritage. You can blame it on Lancaster County. You can can tell me that you're just a private person and you don't like to talk about it. But the truth of the matter is we avoid talking about it. We avoid holding each other accountable for it. We avoid pushing each other in it because it makes us uncomfortable about our own lack of personal spiritual growth. If we're honest with ourselves, we feel guilty about ourselves, so I can't talk to you about yours... But brothers and sisters, it comes down to personal responsibility. It comes down to a desire to, to be godly. It comes down to a desire to be trained. And in verse 8, we see this. Paul speaks of training. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life, and also for the life to come. I mean, Paul is, is not providing an ad for CrossFit here. It, it, is often, it is often used poorly as an example of Paul telling Timothy, you've got to exercise. He, he's not saying that. He, yes, he's comparing the two, and he's speaking about the two, but he's highlighting one way more than the other. Now, for while bodily training is of value, godliness is of value every day, in every way. Now, the image of a long-distance athlete pressing on to the end or fighting through the pain and suffering, achieving the goal, completing the race, now this image gives us hope. We love watching those where they slow down the motion and turn the music up really loud and it's just inspiring for us to go lace up and go run. Right Philippians chapter 3 verse 12, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I press on. Hebrews 12:1, therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Now Paul doesn't just happen to use the term training here. It, it's done deliberately because he knows that being in training implies being committed, especially especially at this moment in time. Of in Many, many dollars, many hours of effort are being spent for training for races and events, and, and Paul is building upon that. This is no different than our culture that we live in today. How much money goes to... Athletes, endorsements. How much did you pay for your last pair of sneakers? We we recognize the we even recognize the investment that comes into training. Well, Paul sees that that there's a level of investment and committed here commitment here, and, and it begins by the effort that you put forth, being prepared to put in the effort, and while there's moments in every athlete's training where they need to force themselves to train and practice they know they need to go work out they desire to stay in bed is, is just as strong but the moment comes or or the choice needs to be made do you get out of bed and go practice to go run to go work out or do embrace the warm soft comfort of the bed one choice allows you to be comfortable but you never move or grow. And the other is harder and and certainly more difficult, but it's the only choice that allows you to become better, and it's the only one that allows you to actually grow. What happens if you lay and never move? What happens to your muscles? What happens to your body? It becomes weak and fragile. There's only one option. If your desire is to grow, if your desire is to get strong, if your desire is to become different than you are now, then there's only one option, and that is to get up and to train. Now, Paul does share that training your body has value, but, but godly training holds a promise not just for this life, but the life to come. Brothers and sisters, That that may be worth getting out of bed for. That may be worth turning Netflix off for. That might be worth teaching your children for. That might be worth more than you can imagine or fathom. We need to press on to make it our own. We need to lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely and run with perseverance the race that's set before us. We need to make every effort to grow in our faith with goodness and the knowledge and self-control and endurance and godliness And and brothers and sisters, there's no infomercial for that. There's no quick fix. There's no special product. But we see in verse 9, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on a living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Here's the reason. The reason, is, the reason is Christ. The reason we press on is Christ. The reason we strive is Christ. The reason we train is Christ. The reason is Christ. Our hope is set on Him. Our gaze on Him. Our hearts on Him. He is the Savior of all people. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, who gave His life for ours while we were still sinners, is the reason... Training is easier. Running a race is easier when you can see the finish line or where the effort is taking you. Brothers and sisters, look to Christ. It's easy to get distracted, it's easy to allow that slow eroding that we talked about last week. But look to Christ. He's the reason. Our hope is set on the living God. Rejoice in that. Take joy in that. As we place our hope correctly in Christ, as we embrace our own personal responsibility to train for godliness, as we strive and toil to be good servants, we do this for Christ. And Paul continues with some ways that we can live this out. Which this brings us to to verses eleven through sixteen. Paul begins to put flesh on it and action on it. Verses eleven sixteen command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may see the progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. there's, There's a lot here in these verses here at the end that we certainly are not going to get to all. But I want you to see a, a few things from this. The first of all is Paul is, is telling Timothy to set an example for the believers. To live out for them this pursuit of godliness. To model leadership and personal responsibility. We can we can unpack later how old timothy really was or how the elders were treating timothy but i want you to see the command doesn't change live out set an example and he does this and he does this because our natural response our our natural inclination is to challenge those that we disagree with to challenge those that we find resistance with Timothy finds himself in the midst of false teaching. He finds himself in the midst of coming alongside of brothers that, that he needs to encourage, that he needs to teach. And Paul says, fight that natural instinct. Fight that natural desire to walk in and say that I'm the boss. That I'm right. And, and what we happens when we, when we find these moments where we find people that challenge us or disagree with us, we become dispensive and, and confrontational. A great example of this is is last Tuesday in our in our staff meeting, Pastor Joel and I were talking about something, and and it was it was nothing of of earth shattering importance for either of us. I, I mean, it's something that has to do with the church that I'm sure we'll get to in our congregational meeting later on today. But I found myself kind of getting riled up, and and I and I and I said to to Pastor Joel, I said, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm not sure why this is getting me all worked up, but. Like, I need, to, I need to stop. Our, our natural instinct is to, be, to get confrontational. Right? We, we get the, oh, girl. It's not helpful. It's not helpful. We see this in the political arena every day. Right? You have to listen to me, because I'm the one in charge. If we responded this way, when we respond this way, our ministry is weakened. Our influence is lessened. When someone speaks to you that way, when someone leads you that way, what is your response? You you don't follow. You don't listen. You lose respect. Or you confront back. This is not what Paul is telling Timothy. Paul tells Timothy to set an example with speech. Hmm. Speech. Speech. How often does our our tongue get us into trouble? Now, I can only speak for me. But I like to hear myself talk. A lot. And sometimes I talk too much. And this leads to not listening. Because as you're talking, I'm just waiting for my opportunity to keep talking. And this just creates... Just a never-ending cycle of me not listening and still filling in my own words and then the potential of me saying something dumb just increases. Gossiping. It goes along with, with how our tongues get us into trouble. Especially if we enjoy to talk, if we enjoy to hear ourselves, we're quick to share stories and rumors. Maybe we call them prayer requests. Or that we're just curious about the situation. Maybe we just don't like quiet and we need to fill the air with sound. Oh, but a quick tongue's not helpful either. Being quick with humor or a snarky comment never serves someone well. And it's certainly not an example that we should look to set. Paul challenges Timothy to set an example with speech. Demonstrate self-control. Use words wisely and maybe, maybe even sometimes sparingly. Proverbs 10.19, He who answers before listening. Oh, that is his folly and his shame. How we speak to others matters and it models our godliness for others. How often does that cross our mind? As we're just waiting for the space to talk in a conversation. Watch how someone speaks to a waiter or a waitress. Watch how someone responds when they're tired and frustrated. What words do they use when they're hurt and angry? How do we demonstrate self-control with our tongue? Set an example with our speech. But it isn't just our speech. We're to set an example with our conduct. Set an example with our, with our character. It's this character that grows strong in training. In our pursuit of personal spiritual growth, our character grows. When we get out of bed and we go move, our character grows. When you got up with the alarm ringing once, and not hitting the snooze button five times, your character's growing. When you open up your Bible and you read, your character grows. When you spend time with God in prayer, your character grows. When you're teaching your children how to honor God, your character grows. As we push back against the slow erosion that happens, our character grows grows our character our conduct is the foundation that love and faith and purity are built upon the way we demonstrate love the way we exhibit our faith the way we pursue purity shows our character in these moments where we want to let our our natural tendencies run rampant we need to use our training We need to remember the things that we've studied and learned so that we can set an example for those around us to show others Christ, the Savior of all people. Now lastly, we're going to jump ahead to verse 16. Paul closes this little section here with Timothy and he says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself "...and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers." Brothers and sisters, our, our charge is to keep a close watch on ourselves, our lives, and the things that we teach. This, again, is, is not one of those pointing finger moments. This verse is as is, is much for you as it is for an elder. We're all accountable for our lives and the things that we teach. I love, I love the words here, keep a close watch on yourself. I mean, it seems to be an odd statement, right? I'm I'm watching, I'm, I'm watching myself all the time. I am literally with myself all the time. I should be keeping a close watch on you. I know what I'm up to. But too often we allow ourselves to run to sin, to embrace sin. At the very least, we're willing to look the other way as we participate in sin, allowing that foundation to be eroded. And before long, we're colliding into our own iceberg. So so keep a close watch. Don't allow the darkness of sin to have free reign. But instead, remind yourself of the example that you're to be setting for other believers with our speech, our conduct, our love, our faith, and our purity. Nobody's able to keep a better watch on you than than you. And this is your challenge. Don't let yourself run rampant. And if we're diligent in doing so, we'll save both ourselves and our hearers. This, This is where you need to pause and Recognize the influence that you have. This is where we need to recognize who's watching us and who's listening to us. You may not find yourself preaching from this pulpit, but you may teach Sunday school. You may lead a small group. You may volunteer with Awana. You may disciple other men or women. You might minister in the nursery. You might lead a youth group. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're a child. Maybe you're a coworker or a student. Everybody. Everybody has an opportunity to set an example. Every one of us. We all have opportunities to share our faith, to speak about Christ, and how we live our lives, how we grow in our own personal training, will affect, will affect that example. It will affect our platform to share the gospel. It will, it will affect our pursuit of godliness, and it will affect us being a good servant. Pay attention to the words that Paul writes. Begin to put these things into practice. Because verse 10, verse 10 reminds us, for to this end we toil and strive. Because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of of those who believe. We don't do this to make life easier. We don't do this because we want an infomercial type life. We, We do this for Christ. We do this because in Christ our hope is set. And because of Christ, we are willing to strive and toil and train in our pursuit of godliness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are uh, thankful this morning again for Your Word. We're thankful that we can spend time reading and studying. And, Father, because of that, we can grow in our pursuit of godliness. Father, that You reveal Yourself to us through Your Word. Father, I pray for not just those that are in this room, but, but Father, those brothers and sisters that we know that in our lives, especially the ones that we prayed for early, earlier, that they would oh, they would run to Your Word, that they would... Meditate on it, sit in it, saturate themselves with it. That they would be better equipped, better equipped to set an example in their speech and their conduct, Father, and their their love and their faith and their purity to those around them. That their pursuit of godliness would become paramount, that it would be more important than oh, binge watching or sporting events or ourselves. Father, would we strive to be more like you? Would our gaze be fixed upon you? Father, you are the hope that we have. We're grateful for the gift of your son, the one that we call Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Father, it is through him that we pray all these things this morning. Amen.